are listening to Going Direct, presented by Cal Fire Local 2881, the podcast, the Cal Fire family. Good morning. This is Pete Mignoa, General Vice President for Cal Fire Local 2881. I'm currently retired. Uh, I did 31 years in the department, retired out as a deputy chief. Um, been a union member since I signed up with the department, actively in the union ranks as a chapter officer or, or active officer for about 20 years now. And uh, my real main objective is to oversee the honor guard within the organization of CAL FIRE Local 2081, as well as the training and convention for every year. And today's podcast, we'll be discussing the membership support and family liaison class that we are having in Sacramento currently. With me today, I have Nick Garcia, Patrick Walker, and Honor Guard Commander Chris Bruno. Yeah, Nick Garcia, District 2 Vice President. I uh, represent Las Modoc, Shasta, and Cisco Unit. I am currently a fire captain in Las Modoc Unit in the Training Bureau, and I've uh, been with the department for 24 years and been a Union officer uh, for about the last 16. My name is Chris Bruno, Commander of Cal Fire's Honor Guard. Uh, been in the union for approximately 15 years, been in the department for 23 years. Uh, my current position is I'm a fire captain with uh, Sacramento Communications, responsible for Southern Region. Patrick Walker, I'm the 10th District Vice President, represent the San Diego County Firefighters, Local 2081. Beth Cal Fire for 25 years, going into my 26th season, and I'm a Schedule A Battalion Chief along the border, uh, but San Diego's everywhere. There's no difference between Schedule A and Schedule B. We're all ground attack. Um, today we're going to discuss what membership support family liaison class provides our membership and how the people that are taking the class will be able to support the families as well as the members that are impacted by any significant events in their lives. Nick Garcia is the class coordinator, so I'll pass it off to Nick. Yeah, thanks, Pete. Uh, yeah, we just started this class on Tuesday. It's been a great turnout. We have uh, about 30 individuals that came, and uh, they are uh, stepped up for our members. Uh, we're there in times of need for our members and the families, um, whether it's just an injury and they go to the hospital. We need to get that family liaison there to help them out and support them. And then it goes all the way down to uh, – funerals if a member passes away whether it's a retiree or we have a line of duty death so we follow that 1039 policy that's being currently being rewritten and uh, follow that for a type one type two and type three uh, service and we're just there to uh, make sure we could take that burden away from the families and that couldn't be done without uh, all these members stepping up to support and uh, the honor guard has been a huge lift and they really do a ton of work for us and with that chris thank you and this is one of the main components that this union provides for members and their families at the time of need um there are a significant amount of of funerals that go on every year from retirees to active etc etc the membership is supported by the union we send a family liaison to help that member or their families at the time of crisis People uh, that are taking the class are identified as family liaisons. Patrick Walker, who is from District 10, he's the vice president in District 10, has done a lot of these unfortunate uh, events 
and actually is well accustomed to what needs to occur. Chris Bruno, um, our Honor Guard commander, has always been active, as well as his co-commander, Deputy Commander Johnny Garcia, in leading the Honor Guard for the services for the families of the fallen uh, firefighter or personnel. So, Patrick, you want to speak about some of the things that you've done in the past? Yeah, the family is on part very near and dear to me. We had suffered some heavy losses down in San Diego starting about 2017, and I was the deputy vice president at the time under Randy Scales, and uh, it was an active fire season, so we had a suicide, and we had some retirees pass uh, right about the same time. So pretty close to the individual took his own life, and it was within my area that I work. I was given the task on the union side to manage that situation. I felt I could do it all on my own, that I don't need any help. You know, one man shop, I'll take care of everything. Take care of the family, I'll take care of the funeral, I'll take care of all of that. And it completely exhausted me, mentally, physically. Everything to the point of I put out a unit-wide email that if anybody wanted to help me show up to headquarters, and this is about three days before the service. So... I knew from there, there, I have to do it different. So I fell back on what we know. We're Cal Fire. We know how to manage incidents. So talking to our unit chief, Tony Meacham, super supportive of the fallen firefighters and the union in general down there. Um, kind of looked at the team process and adding folks in there and then immediately went into into this course. So that kind of developed uh, even more with uh, Nick Schuler and getting into the type one services that we had. Corey Iverson, Braden Varney throughout the state, and where we'd actually put that memorial team together, and they go out there and address those. So, just it was from those heavy losses, and you know, like Nick says, I think uh, it's a part of the union and a part that the members may not all know about is that commitment. That once you have that family liaison, they're there start to finish. And I say start to finish, I don't mean the start of the service to the end of the service. I mean from the loss of that firefighter probably for the rest of the life of that union officer will be connected one way or another. There's not a widow, a father, brother, sister, family member, any of these folks that I don't talk to at least once a week, you know, be it their kids have an issue or they have a question, there's a benefit issue. And then I think uh, one person to point out that's really important is Kevin O'Mara, a benevolent fund overseeing that because he has a wealth of knowledge, wealth of information that we can always lean on. So. Right. And thanks Patrick for that. So, there are so many components to what we do within this organization when it comes down to an employee that needs assistance, to your point. Um, Kevin O'Meara from the Bene- Benevolent um, is always out there available to assist members at their time of need monetarily. It's not limited to funerals. It's not limited to injuries. There's many opportunities that you can go to the Benevolent Foundation to ask for assistance. Um, so, d- so don't uh, think that... Uh, it's specific to what you can ask the benevolent fund for. Um, a big component that Patrick talks about is the is the mental toll on the individual that helps the families um, go through their time of crisis. Um, and as Patrick identified, it's it's quite the heavy lift. Um, I've done a few myself, uh, type ones, a couple type twos, and uh, type threes, of course, but. It, it all comes down to, you're right, you will stay connected with those families for years. Um, it's, it's amazing how much you gain with a bond with those folks. 
because of what you're doing for them at their time of need and how much, how much they really appreciate what you do for them. The stresses of that incident really, really um, actually become part of you mm-hmm. just as your day job goes on. And, and uh, I know Chris Bruno is no stranger to this conversation piece when it comes down to the amount of stresses it, it is on the individual, especially when the Honor Guard is so active throughout the state of California every day doing what they do for our members. So, Chris, I would like to, for you to speak a little bit about the Honor Guard. Hello. I appreciate this opportunity to be here sitting next to these strong union members. Um, been in the Honor Guard for about 15 years. I've uh, been the commander for probably about five of those years. Um, we have uh, approximately 86 Honor Guard members, half of our band members, half our general members. And these volunteers have have uh, vowed to step up and support the families, our membership, uh, with the support of the strong union. Um, and I'm sitting here with, with Nick and Patrick and Vice President Manua. And um, I, I just I just can't call them friends. We're, we're truly brothers. We, we stand up and we support our families, our membership at the, at the time of their need. And uh, with the support of all of our membership, we were able to reach out and and truly affect and, and lift these families up. Um, Vice President Mignot was speaking about the challenges that we face when we're reaching out and supporting these families, and, and it can be very difficult. What gets us through it is the is the brotherhood, the membership that, that we share when we're working together, we're striving for that support and that success for that, e- that event for the family. And when I... When when our guys are and gals are out there working together and uh, trying to plan the service and working on getting things as perfect as possible for our families, um, and we find ourselves in those difficult times, you know that's when we look at each other and and we can recognize that you know maybe we need to support each other as we're supporting our families and and I appreciate the opportunity to to be there and stand next to these fine men and women that are offering that service for our membership. And thank you very much, Chris. Uh, There's so much that goes behind the scenes that people don't see that uh, the Honor Guard does. Um, If if I can take you through a a normal deployment um, so that the members understand how, how challenging it is for the planning component of any event. Typically, the... District Vice President or Chapter Director, they're getting a notification from the Duty Chief, Unit Chief, sometimes from the field, that this happened. When that happens, there's a series of wheels that start turning for notifications on our side. So in occurrences I've dealt with, the first thing I do is call Tim Edwards to notify him that we've lost a member. And I call Pete Manoa, the General Vice President, oversees the Honor Guard and a lot of the support there to make that initial notification then we're working with unit management. Uh, we're identifying a liaison on our side. In San Diego, we use three people. So we have a Cal Fire, a local 2081 agency rep, and then we have a funeral liaison, and we have a family liaison. Those people get engaged. We try to get to the family's house within 24 hours and start discussing uh, what we need to do to find out what their needs are. Meanwhile, we've already reached the skids with the Honor Guard and you uh, to let them know that we've had this loss of life and um, 
we're working on trying to find a date for the service. This takes a team of folks to do that. Just the uh, uh, Anthony Hunikins, Firefighter 1, that we lost recently. Um, just that initial team there was eight officers committed to do that, uh, whether it's on release time, incident time, or whatever. But there was eight folks. And then maybe, Pete, from that point, we submit all that information. We're working behind the scenes, getting all this work done with the department. And then we get the conference call that's in your shop, that request. Can you maybe talk about what that means? Sure. So to, uh, following up with you, Patrick, um, and I appreciate, you know, your the way that your process works down in San Diego. And, and, and throughout the state, it varies. And different districts or chapters, the in level of engagement with how a person died, let's say it's a type 3. Uh, a type 3, once a, once a member has been, has passed and either the union's notified at the chapter level that chapter level officer needs to make contact with the unit a deputy a duty chief or or unit chief to let them know hey um, Joe Smith passed away he was a retired member blah 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 and get that ball rolling because it's up to the department to get the conference call um, scheduled for this event that chapter or that chapter officer will notify the district vice president and then district vice president normally notifies me. Um, at that point, um, what I end up doing is notifying Commander Bruno and his team that this event is going to occur. And Chris and his team will start mobilizing the appropriate um, personnel and, and the date that's been identified or if it hasn't been identified, just put it on their radar so that they can plan on having a deployment for a Type 3. And I'll wait basically for a funeral conference call to be set up and, and that I participate in. I participate in all the funeral conference calls just to make sure that the policy is being followed um, correctly and that things aren't being omitted or, or not followed. The department's heavy with that. Um, basically, uh, it's it, the people that participate um, besides myself will be the chapter, I'm sorry, the unit Unit uh, uh, family liaison, the unit chief. Um, there will be the uh, there will be the region chief, et cetera, et cetera. Moves up the chain until it gets to Sacramento, and, and the director and his uh, appointees will be there as well. Um, it's it's quite a heavy load when the conference call goes on. A lot of uh, a lot of eyes need to be dotted and T's need to be crossed to make sure that the policy is followed and everybody supports the plan. Um, a lot of it, at the end of the day, once that conference call occurs, an incident number is generated um, so that the deployment can happen. Um, we've had some challenges where these are kind of pushed out until a later date. Um, we know that the event's going to happen two weeks prior, and we won't have the conference call until like three or four days prior to the events on occasions. And, and it's very challenging for the members of the Honor Guard not to have that incident number generated already because they have to start planning for their travel, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm working with the department to see if we can make sure that we get those conference calls in a timely manner so that we can get all the all the balls rolling behind the scenes that need to happen as well. Yeah, I think one thing that's important I've dealt with uh, to explain to the members is that typing and what that means. And it's, uh, it's part of the process, it's part of the approval process, it's part of the levels. I tell a lot of folks, do not wrap, don't get wrapped up around the typing. And then back to the family liaison. 
because uh, everybody does it a little different. A lot of that back channel work that you're talking about, we try to handle before we get it to you. Um, and I think one of the stresses, I don't want to speak for Chris, goes back to that time. When you're notified that they might have a service in seven days, it's almost impossible to get these folks off. And then on the back side, and I talk about the Honor Guard members and even where I work. And then you hear other members um, say, you know what, individual X, he's on another Honor Guard thing. That's BS. I don't think they realize the toll on what's going on with those folks. And so I could pass on to those members. If you know somebody who's an Honor Guard and they need to get off duty, there's a reason. There's nothing those guys don't do that's 100% for these memorials. We need to make sure we back them up because that's the biggest stress with the how busy the department is in getting that conference call initiated to get the service level approved. It's a clock, and that clock is waiting for them to get launched for whatever it is. There's some things we can do on the backside to help move it along, but I'm sure Chris could speak a little bit um, more about that. But one of the other things that the family liaison does that we actually came that kind of became organic is helping these families save money with the services. So, yes, the benevolent fund, the union, different funds, they aren't necessarily there to pay for direct funeral costs, costs, but ancillary costs. But by doing all these services, I found out a couple things, and I, I get it and I respect their business, but the mortuary business is kind of like a car salesman mixed with a real estate agent, right? So they're selling the, the vehicle, uh, that person's going to go in, and then that real estate, and they can only make one sell. So you have a very emotionally distraught family there, and they're going to come in there. And I would say, on average, like a casket-type funeral burial, that could be upwards of $30,000. And uh, the folks, they think that's what needs to happen. Just the relationships we've developed statewide with different mortuaries and being so frequently in there, we found out that through cremation and other means, you can drop that down to about $5,000. That's huge because that is $25,000 that that widow or that spouse needed. You know, and you have to have that discussion. We have those tough discussions with the family, the notifications. Uh, usually the fire chiefs there with us to sit down with those folks and walk them through all of it. So There's a lot to it. It is a heavy toll. And uh, one other thing to pass on is you can only do so much. We have liaisons, our union officers in San Diego, and including myself. They are maxed out. They have taken on the maximum amount of numbers of fallen firefighters and their families that they can. So that's another reason we recruit, expand, bring in new members. We brought six up here to get trained because they're fresh for that unfortunate next loss or injury that we have, and that's a big thing we do as well, is be there for our injured members. And to your point, th- you know, I appreciate what you're saying. We have uh, a lot of deaths, unfortunately, and, and requests for assistance, and there are times when we don't have family li- liaisons available that are trained to provide that service for that member. And we'll have folks stepping up that don't know how the process works. At that point, um, I'm usually heavily engaged about walking them through the processes um, from the details on what needs to happen um, on their end. So it's very challenging, and I really appreciate all the union brothers and sisters that came up to take the class, to, to step into that role. Um, and that being the case, you know, th- th- we talk about the, class itself and what it brings um, for training to the members, I think it's important that we reflect about how much training goes into it and what it entails. Over this three-day period, uh, we're ta- we 
really hit on the 1039 policy, but kind of what Patrick just said too, it's just not when uh, a member passes away. It's a injury, whether it's a car wreck, uh, if they just get injured in general and they're at the hospital, we need to be there to support them and their family. And I think that we do that a lot more than dealing with the funerals themselves. So that's what we're trying to teach this class that it may not, you may not be at a funeral organizing a type one, type two, type three. It may be just be, Hey, you're going to the hospital right now and you're going to be there for the next five or six hours and or day or two. And just helping that spouse or family out and making sure that they have a hotel and they're eating and getting enough sleep and, it could be exhausting on that family as well. To jump on to tag onto that one and extend it a little bit is it's the unions, all of us, and it's never as evident when we lose some or I'll go to the injuries. Nick works up north. I work down south. I don't know how many times have we've had strike teams up there. He's had strike teams down south. Something has happened. It doesn't matter. We're all one and the same. So my officers, myself, we respond to that hospital, take care of those folks. Those guys are on station in Chico, wherever they need to be. Within a couple hours, we have a union officer on station there with the department working together to make sure that members have the support. So it's it's statewide that the union's there to protect you. And we even go out of state. You might be able to talk about that a little later. Sure, Pete, sure. Yeah, so and to your point, yeah. So, you know, because UC Davis, the burn center, is here in Sacramento, District 9, Scott Witt, is always Johnny on the spot, if you would. Um, we have members being flown in for treatment at UC Davis, and Scott's the the district vice president, he's always readily available to, to assist and attend to that member. So to your point, Patrick, those, those types of relationships and the brotherhood and sisterhood that we have within the union is important, and, and people really, really need to recognize that this union truly is a family, and when we talk about how we do business, you could be anywhere in the state and something happens, and you will be tended to by your, by your brothers or sisters within the organization, and that in itself, um, I think, should be uh, really hit home for everybody because, you know, we talk about the, the, the family of the union. And until you really, really understand what that brings you and what the opportunities allow you to participate in, um, it's very, very, very um, overwhelming sometimes, um, especially when you get to the to the international, you start meeting the brothers and sisters throughout the country that are union brothers and sisters, and they extend their arms out, hands out, say, listen, if you ever need anything, something happens, you come and talk to us. And I've seen it firsthand. We've had members in different um, parts of the country that have had some issue happen to them, and uh, the brother or sister, whatever whatever state um, they're in, get, gets the phone call from that local and they bring them in, they get them hotel rooms, they get them tickets for wherever they need to go, they, they get them a rental car. Um, it truly is a uh, union family that we belong to, and what the opportunities of being the member of a union affords you all of that family, that extended family that you normally wouldn't have. You, you know, Pete, you, you touched on some very valuable topics there, and, and I think one of the most important things that I've learned in my short career with CDF Cal Fire, and especially as a union member, is that uh, the the effort and respect and love that we put into our membership and our families, and how we take care of them and how we provide for them. I mean, we we many of us have given countless hours from our own lives uh, away from our families to make sure that that our 
those needs are met by for our memberships family and and what i appreciate in this class because I, as i was sitting back there and and watching our our guest speakers and our instructors get up there and provide this information for these newly um newly volunteered family liaison members uh was was you guys were showing them how to take care of family you're showing them the proper paperwork you're showing them you know how they should be supporting the, our membership and i appreciate that nick because being invited to participate in this class allows uh, me as an honor guard member to to network with these folks that are going to be calling me for help here in the next you know month or day or year or whenever that is and you know they're going to have those challenges and struggles and they're going to be uh, asked to provide levels of service that yeah, maybe they're not aware of how or who to reach out to but you guys have laid down a foundation here in this course that has absolutely um, set them up for success. You know, having Patrick, yourself, and Pete chime in and, and guiding these people through these challenges that, that they don't even know that they're facing yet. And uh, it can be difficult, and you guys did them a great service. So thank you. Well, we appreciate you being here. Uh, I was speaking to Mike Moreland, who's also on the cadre. And, you know, Mike's at some services, Patrick's at some, I'm at some. But the consistency, the constant is you guys, the honor guard. So mm-hmm. you guys are the key part of making everything work, and we'd be remiss not to have you here. Yeah, You know, and, and to Nick's point, yes, the honor guard is the glue, if you would, that, that makes all of this work. Um, there's times where we don't have any union officers attending a service for a member that's passed. The one constant will be the honor guard. They will be there. They will show up. They will, they will take care of that member and their family their time of need. So I really appreciate the honor guard and what they do um, in this process. So, um, you know, I, I say it time and time again, I really appreciate what you guys do. And um, everybody that's listening to this podcast should really thank an honor guard member when they see them, because it is not only do they do the job that you do on the line, going to calls, doing what you do, but they take time out of their other times that they should be at home with their families to support membership for these specific events. So thank, thank an honor guard member and, and really appreciate what they do for us in our membership. Yeah. It, and it's like an additional job, honor guard union, you know, you got your day job and then the union job, which for some of us, that's busier than your day job. And then add the honor guard component into it. And these guys are, they're diverse. They're there. I'm sure everybody can tell by the tempo, you know, we respect them highly. They're a huge part and it's the unions honor guard where's the department's patch but that's funded by the union you know yes yes and 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 to your point patrick you know uh, like when you said before yes the department's heavily involved and i'm not discounting anything the department does it's a matter of the behind the scenes additional components of making sure we follow up making sure these things are buttoned up for that family member because to your point you know You'll talk to these family members for many, many years to come. You'll get Christmas cards from them most of the time. They'll, they'll, they'll call you on the phone just to say hello, um, send you an email or a text just to let them let you know that they're thinking of you. And, and that is something that I'm honored to be able to say that I was able to participate in that person's life, you know, at, at their time of need. <coughs> and, and there's so many opportunities that being a family liaison lends you. 
and and the amount of work that it goes behind the scenes for every member in this organization that provides that service is significant. And I applaud everybody for stepping up because everything that we do on the backside, behind our day jobs, et cetera, et cetera, is another, another work uh, for us to do. But it's work that's needed to be done. A hundred percent. I think one thing that Nick was talking about it, um, it's the big role of the family liaison member support when it comes to the injuries, because that's what happens most often. And that daily there's members getting issued or injured and throughout weekly is it's severe trauma centers, burn centers, whatever's going on. And we're there and that's just as difficult and that required just as big of a team. And sometimes depending on what's going on, we may have the honor guard prepped because we know that we may lose this member depending on the severity of the injuries. That is extremely stressful because you're supporting the family, bringing the family and you're working with other labor organizations, maybe in the area because they may be in an area that there is no local 2081 Maybe you're using, you know, L.A. County Fire. Their unit will be there immediately uh, to support it until we get there. And that continues on as well through the recovery process, getting the family there, figuring out their benefits, working through all that. And, you know, the one thing that um, I get or we all get from that is every one of these families, injuries, you know, loss of life, are extremely thankful. They're not upset they are always like you took such a load off of our shoulders and we do that uh, one of the models i use you know if we lose a member is i tell the family when we sit down there is that uh you know we lost your member thank you for sharing him or her with us but now we represent you we represented him but now we represent you as family and that's what we're going to do we're that checks and balances for the department because there's a lot of things the department can't do there's probably more things or there's a lot of things they can do there's probably more things though, that they can't do be it get the hotel rooms, transportation, uh, purchasing of several items, and just that general support uh, of going in there. So we're able to come in there and uh, fill that gap. I use a good example is we had an uh, incident with the Rainbow Fire Crews up in Fire Up North, and they're severely injured, five members. Our union folks from that Butte chapter were there immediately at Chico. I got the phone call about 1 a.m. from those guys before, or about the same time the unit chief did. And we're able to get two of our liaisons on a plane that morning out of San Diego to be up there. So I was very proud of the fact and couldn't believe that by noon, there was two San Diego district members there at the hospital. Prior to that, we already had our North California brothers that were there. So it's, we are one family, like you said. So Nick, based off of your, your, your conversations with the, uh, trainees this week, um, do you see that they're getting a lot of information that that's going to be useful in, in the future for them? Yeah, I think it's almost, I think they got overloaded maybe. And just hearing some of the quote unquote war stories of some of the stuff that the cadre has gone through and, uh, but they're all willing to step up and, and take on that role. But there is a little hesitation. I think, I don't know if hesitation is the right word, but we gave them everything they need, hopefully. And, as I told them, they could always phone a friend. I still do that. So we make sure we give them our numbers. And if they have any questions throughout the process, give us a call. You know what I picked up, Nick, is a lot of those folks have already done the job without the training. Probably 50% of that class has done it. And everybody I was talking to, I'd ask them, what would you get out of it? They're like, well, you know, we had to handle the service or I had a member injured. And now I see that back process, uh, how I should have done it or how I could do it better. So 
they're out there doing it already. Yeah. You know, it's that on-the-job training and then come in there to add those points. So, and and what really needs to occur with these, w- before we adjourn, adjourn for the day with the class, is to let them know that there's support for everybody that's taking the class and is going to hold that responsibility, the ESS program, et cetera, et cetera. Those things need to be in, encouraged and engaged. Um, if there's any, you know, mental problems after the fact um, that may be burdened by that that relationship that they're having or, or detail that they had to handle. Might not even be an if. Yeah, I, it's true. It's true. It might not be even be if, but some in a lot of you know a lot of times we just blow it off and just say we'll work through it. You know, and make sure you got it. It's not a big deal, but it carries with you and. Um, don't be afraid to reach out and get some some somebody to talk to. That's really important. And that's one thing right now, Pete, uh, the Department of uh, Behavioral Health and Wellness, they reached out to me after hearing another podcast, and they said, hey, we'd be interested in this family liaison. So they're currently down there uh, talking to the class right now, and the ESS component falls in with that. So I think it's a very good component to add to the class this year. I, I think that's an excellent point, Nick. So we've utilized the department's ESS. It's gotten more robust over the years because of what the department sees the employees are going through. Um, every every convention, we try to get a contingent of ESS members to sit with the honor guard because during convention, that's the honor guard's primary training um, event, and we get a contingent from the ESS just so that they're there to speak with honor guard members that wouldn't normally have time to speak with them because they're so busy all the time. And, and I find that's been very fruitful for, for a lot of the members. You, you know, Pete, I appreciate the, the fact that they are also able to go and deploy at a moment's notice to the incidents that we're supporting. There's been numerous times that, that, that our team would show up at a, at a, at a church and we're beginning the planning process. And in the, in the parking lot, I see, a. Uh, one of our ESS family members show up and, you know, they'll approach me and like, Hey Chris, you know, just want to, just want to check on uh, the boys and girls and make sure that they're good to go and if they need anything. And I appreciate that because, you know, they, they, they launched, they know that we're going through uh, challenges and struggles and we're going from detail to detail to detail. And, you know, some, there's a lot of funerals that we're supporting and family members and, you know, they took the time out of their day to contact me and say hey would you mind uh, if we came up there and just do a pulse check make sure that our people are good and they are constantly uh, in contact with all of our honor guard members to make sure that we're able to provide that service in the future yeah and that's with everybody i call i have this theory this thing i call it and i had to write a note down to remind myself but it's the third alarm right so because we're familiar with alarms i think the membership everybody don't discount those resources that we fought hard to get via EAP, ESS, you know, and your own health benefits. So the third alarm is, and it can be in any order, you have ESS to call to help. You have EAP, but you also have your own health care benefits to call for behavior health. So let's say that each one gives you seven. That could be 21 sessions or 21 times you can meet with a therapist versus going right to the third alarm via ESS and you passed up the first and second alarm. We're all used to that. You know, you kind of build that up. You know, my thing is one, two, three, and then maybe a retreat. I'm not a behavioral health specialist, but I think it's important that the members exhaust all those options because I know that the ESS program gets severely taxed, you know, by what our members are dealing with. 
And a lot of times when members reach out to us because everybody in the room here knows, you know, they're calling us like they're calling ESS and we're taking those calls in too. Sometimes I have to field the ESS, the department. And oftentimes I'll ask them, have you reached out to EAP? They're like, no, I called CSS battalion chief. Okay. Have you looked at your own healthcare benefits? No, I'd, I'd rather go here. I heard that that's terrible. Well, it's not necessarily terrible. It's what you make of it. You know, it's, Going to the retreat is it or these retreats, which I 100% support. We all do. The cost is excessive, you know. And have you done that preventative steps uh, moving forward? So that's with everybody. We're always keeping a pulse check on those folks. And as we go through these incidents, injuries, especially because injuries, that has just the same toll, you know. But doing that pulse check because it's just, it's an incident, you know, and. Are you providing that support to those folks? You know, that demo process, following up on them after actions, all those things to make sure that they're okay. And I said it's not really if, but it's a when because that adds up. We're not born like you're a firefighter and you're a suit of armor. You have the same makeup as everybody else, you know, and you'll have family members, friends. I don't know how you could see that stuff. I don't know how you do that. Well, we can't. So it adds up after all those years because I made up just the same DNA as my brother, who's not a firefighter. You know, he owns a golf company and he doesn't deal with the stuff that I deal with, you know. So a stressful day for him is that um, his golf shaft machine's not aligned, right? And we know what a stressful day for us is just to kind of gauge that. Yes. And the EAP program is very, very, very useful. And, you know, the amount of times you can utilize them. And I was told years ago, you might go with go to them for one issue, and then it, you might have expired your your amount of visits, if you would. But then, if you just talk about something else, they could open up another claim and get another seven. So um, they're available, and that access is open to every member for whatever it may be uh, outside of just family liaison and and impacts, um, any day to day issues that they have that they may need to talk to somebody, get some things worked out. Um, my biggest, ch- Our biggest challenge, uh, President Edwards and I have been talking and working with the department to get the Honor Guard made um, in, into a retreat. we got to get our men and women of the Honor Guard that see this stress daily. And I mean that from the Honor Guard perspective of what they have to deal with daily. We have to get them... S- help as well because I can see it when I see Honor Guard members it's taking a toll um, by, by participating and, and by them volunteering and doing what they do it's taking a toll on them and that's the front line that's the front line of, of, of the union is the Honor Guard that's the face so we have to make sure that our men and women are taken care of and we're working on getting that taken care of effective this year getting, getting the members uh, help yeah, and they're on duty, and I think the one thing that some folks need to be reminded of, uh, and I know behavioral health will be a discussion maybe later, is that anytime you are seeking assistance in behavioral health and you're a CAL FIRE employee, you need to do an IAPS. You need to report that that's an injury. It's not a disease. It's an injury that was caused by this job we have. Right. You're not born with PTSD. You get it just like cancer. So do those IAPS. Make sure that that's filled in. I, like I said, I don't want to go too far into it, but we lost a person, took their own life. And that's now a line of duty death. And the reason is, it was identified he had an issue. He had a work comp claim. He did the IAPS. He said, I have a problem. Had we not done that, and we deal with that, a lot of locals will reach out to me and ask how we did it. And the first thing I'll ask him is, do you have an injury claim? 
Like, no. I said, well, that's what we had. There was nothing magical we did. The magical part was his wife having to relive the events of five years of dealing with that. So definitely do those IAPs. Reach out to ESS. If you have a question, and they'll help you fill it out. It's very easy, but you have to report those injuries. And I appreciate the conversation we've had today. I think uh, this, this dialogue we've had, hopefully the members see that there is value um, to what the union's doing with a family liaison component that they are afforded being a union member. And it's important for people to know if you're not a union member, you will not get this level of support from the union. And, and that's just the way it is. Membership has its privileges. And, and being a member of this union affords you a significant amount of support. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Going Direct. We hope you enjoyed learning more about the family liaison class and some of what the union uh, gives and offers to its members. If you would like to learn more about all of the trainings we offer, it is on the member side of the L281 website. If you have any questions, suggestions, or would love to guest host a podcast yourself, let us know. Take care. Take care.